this is something that's come up a lot. People will say, oh my gosh, your son is so lucky to have you and your husband. And I do not feel that way. From the bottom of my heart, how I feel is that we are lucky. That there's a whole life experience, a whole richness of humanity that I wouldn't necessarily have had the benefit of learning about were it not for being able to parent a kid like him. And that to me is like the gift. You know, before I had him, I didn't imagine this in the future. And once um, I saw it happening, I just saw a need and tried to fill it. And through pursuing that, I learned a lot and I'm still learning a lot. And I'm really grateful not to just think about myself all the time. Welcome to And Then Everything Changed, a podcast about the pivotal moments in life and the decisions that define us. I'm your host, Ronit Plank. For today's episode, my guest Morgan Walsh was able to record from her home. Today I'm speaking with Morgan Walsh, who's the founder of Gender Nation, and Gender Nation empowers and validates children through access to uplifting, inclusive stories that demonstrate the full spectrum of sexuality and gender identity. Welcome, Morgan. Hi, thank you for having me. I'm very glad you're here. I would love to learn a little bit more about how Gender Nation evolved. What made you decide to start your organization? Sure. And I laugh when I hear the the mission statement that we have read back to me. I'm like, we really need to simplify that. Um, to take all that complicated language, what we do is we donate LGBTQ plus affirming storybooks to public school libraries. Okay. So what you were reacting to is like this very like evocative language when what you want to say is this is what we do. Yeah. I just want, you know, that's, how I describe it when I'm telling people all the time is just to cut right to the chase, which is what we do is donate LGBTQ plus affirming storybooks to public schools. Okay. And so you are in California and how has the response been to this service? Um, It's been varying. Um, For the most part, whenever anyone hears that this is what we're trying to do, they're like, Oh my God, yes, we need those books. And certainly the schools that we've, actually been able to donate to. I mean, I'm receiving notes from parents, from teachers who see the benefit in their classroom, which is awesome. Mm -hmm. Um, And then there's been a a couple of times where we've had to ask educators who are in charge of deciding whether or not these books should be in their libraries. We've had to ask them to try to be brave with us, you Mm -hmm. know, and, um, and so far we've been very lucky. They take the leap, even if they're nervous. And when you know, I don't want to fill in the information, though I have assumptions. When you say be brave with us, you know, what is the leap that you're asking them to take that sometimes is scary for them? Well, uh, the books that we donate, there's in our current set, we we donate 17 storybooks. We don't write these books. They're not self-published books. We partner with huge publishers like HarperCollins and... Um, Simon and Schuster. So we partner with these publishers in the last 10 years. Um, a whole bunch of these books have been written that, um, illustrate in a really age appropriate way, the 
the sensation of feeling different, of maybe not identifying with things that are typically boy things, quote unquote, or typically girl things, or maybe you, you, they illustrate how two boy penguins, this is a true story, two boy penguins are raising a baby penguin in a New York zoo. Um, and that's a true story. So we, the books that we donate are beautiful stories that illustrate the gender and sexuality spectrum, but not in an age, they are completely in an age appropriate way. So it's not like we're writing these books or they're self-published. They're from huge publishers like HarperCollins and Simon & Schuster and beautiful children's authors like Todd Parr, who wrote a book called It's Okay to Be Different, which is one of the books on our list. So we've curated this book list with input from educators, with input from the Gender Spectrum Organization in Northern California, with PTAs, with principals. So it's a curated book list. and we donate them to public school libraries. So it, we're asking teachers and, and principals and superintendents to be brave by letting these books be on the shelves amongst all the other books. They don't need a special LGBTQ section. Mm-hmm. We just want them in the library. And in California, and I'm sure your listeners are you know, are more than in California, but in California, we have something called the Fair Education Act. And this act was passed in 2010, and it mandates equal representation in educational materials. And I don't know about you, Renee, but growing up, from I certainly felt like I could have used more female examples, mm-hmm. role models, examples in the in the materials I was taught. With. Yeah, I was definitely hungry for those. Yeah, and I'm embarrassed to say that it's in my adulthood that I learned about many women that were forces throughout our Mm -hmm. history. Um, But I wasn't taught them in school. So taking that same drive, I'm like, well, this is just a component that's missing. When you think about those libraries that you've been visiting, the public school libraries, Mm -hmm. there's representation, do you feel, in a lot of other areas of what would be considered different? Like, are you seeing different books that represent differently abled people and people who are not white? Is that what you mean, that they are already represented? Yeah, I'm sure they are. But the area that and probably could stand to do more, sorry for my dog, but the area that we're focusing on is this area, which there is, like I said, in the last 10 years, there's been many more of these books written. They didn't, a few of them existed before, but now um, there's just so much more awareness that um, people are realizing that early childhood um, intervention or having these available for for kids in elementary school uh, really helps prevent um, some very harmful thoughts and behaviors that these kids take on when they feel lost and different and have no language for the feelings they're having. And have you had um, a personal impetus to do this? Was there a moment that you realized that this was what you wanted to create? Yeah. So uh, originally, Gender Nation started as a Facebook page. And the reason I did that is I have three kids. I have a, now they're 12, 10 and eight. Um, and when my oldest son was in first grade, he said to me, mom, like as we were walking to bed, I was taking him to bed and he turned to me in the hallway and he said, mom, I don't know any other boys like me. And I said, do you mean boys that don't necessarily like sports, that sometimes like dresses? Is that what you mean? Because that's really where we were at. Again, it's mm-hmm. like we're not we didn't want to be ahead of his consciousness. 
We right. wanted him to lead the way and sort of let us know what he was ex- experiencing. So we just were following his lead. And I asked him, is that what you mean? And he said, yes. And I said, would you like me to try and find some other kids and families in our area? Um, and he said, yes. And so at that time, when I sat down to Facebook after I put him to bed, there weren't any Facebook pages that I could find where families were trying to connect with each other that may be supporting a child that was like our oldest. And this might have been in 2015 or so? No, this was 2012, 2013. This is when he was in first grade. Okay. So this was a long time ago. And I started the, the Facebook page and it was very quickly. I connected with other families. And, um, so we started it with just this, um, Facebook page. And then we would have these sort of informal play groups where we'd meet once a month. And at these play groups, I would bring um, crayons and coloring books and, and books that I would buy on Amazon. And um, and I I realized how popular those books, books were. And I would watch kids just sort of like explore them, you know, on their own. It was just like a quiet moment where they could Um, look at a book themselves that might have um, an experience they could relate to. And so in 2015, 2016, and I'm skipping over a little bit, like in the meantime, we built a website and um, I connected with other parents and we had a logo, but we still didn't have a clear mission. But around in um, uh, 2016-ish, my head hit the pillow one night And I was like, oh my gosh, what can I do as a really busy mom that will actually make a practical impact where I've already witnessed value in the work? And I thought, I will donate these books to public school libraries. We were on the precipice of the teacher strike at the time um, here in Los Angeles. So it was like, it seemed like a lot of initiatives would be served by this Mm -hmm. mission. And so then did you end up getting started pretty quickly? Like how long did it take from inception to getting going with these publishing houses and and getting the word out? Well, thanks to Keiko Feldman, who is um, my co-founder. She was a a mom that I just become friends with and our lives intersected in lots of different ways. And when I had this um, idea, she was my first phone call the next morning. And I said, I'm going to do this. And do you want to help me? And she said, oh my God, yes, and I know just who to call. So Keiko uh, raised three kids and her youngest son um, had gone through the Glendale, California Unified Public School District and was popular. He was a track star and, um, you know, just top of his class and was out of the closet at home, but not out at school. And in this time that I had known Keiko, uh, he elected to come out on social media Mm -hmm. and she was so scared. She's like, do you really have to do that on social media? And he was like, (laughs) I know it's the right thing for me. I know it's what I want to do. And luckily for him, he was from a really loving, supportive home and he was really well received at school. And so Keiko, I knew being my friend was someone who shared a passion for this work and wanted every kid to have the experience that she was able to give her kid, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and, and she had direct experience with, uh, Glendale Unified. Um, so she said, let's call the superintendent of Glendale Unified and see if they'll want to be our first recipients. 
And that's what happened. So we donated to 23 public schools right out of the gate. We presented to their Hmm. principals meeting. Um, And they also helped us really finalize that initial book list, which was great. Um, Mm -hmm. And we used that relationship to open doors with more districts. And and how how did the decision come about to not categorize them specifically as LGBTQ books? Well, you know, we found ourselves doing lots of interviews and talking to different superintendents and they would say, or educators, and they would say, you know, where do you see these? What do you want with them? And we've realized if they're in a special section in the library, that might discourage a kid who is scared to mm-hmm. look at the books, to go to them. And frankly, these books are, they're just stories. They're stories about people. They're stories about animals. They're stories about feelings. And those feelings are universal. They don't need a special section necessarily. We need to put that in our mission. We need to clarify that that's what we're doing in our mission um, because this is a void that we're feeling. But um, the stories and the feelings inside the books are universal and should be treated Mm -hmm. as such. And that's about differences. Mm -hmm. Um, So how do the schools feel like the program is going? Are the books being Mm -hmm. used? Do the librarians read them? What's the response been? Yeah. So I have two different um, stories about this or two different anecdotes. One is uh, we were doing a fundraiser in here in Los Angeles last September, our first big fundraiser, and it was called Storytellers. And we realized we had 200 people we needed to introduce our mission to. So Keiko, who has a documentary film company, she was like, I'm going to go to some of the schools we've already donated to and try to get some footage of the the books on the shelves and see what happens. And, um, to, to put this little video together for us. And she goes to a school in, uh, La Crescenta and she sees one of the books we donated a book called George, which is awesome. Um, she sees that it's pristine. It's like, looks like it hasn't been, read at all. And she's like, Oh no, what's, Oh, maybe nobody's checking it out. And we put a plaque. We have a sticker plaque inside each of the books that we donate that says like, this is donated Mm -hmm. from gender nation. So she opened up the cover of the book and it didn't have the plaque. And she went to the librarian and said, Oh, did we not, you know, is this not from us? Did we not? And she said, Oh, no, what's happened is George has been checked out so many times. The cover's <laughs> coming off. We had to order a second copy. And P.S., these kids want more books like this. How do we get more? Oh. So it was that was a great, um, you know, tangible, up-close example of that the books are actually really getting used. Um, and we yeah. And they hadn't even been in that school for very long. So it was impressive. Mm-hmm. And then the other story, as far as reactions go, um, we were, I had a friend introduce me to a superintendent. I'm not going to say the school district, but a school district not far from me in Los Angeles. And um, we dropped off a preview set of books. That's usually how we do it. We drop off a preview set for the educators to review. And then we'll switch out the preview set for a permanent set. 
And um, I got an email. Mm-hmm. And the email said they were really on board with what we want to do. Thank you so much. And this was a district, by the way, that I I had been warned I would never get into. They were like, give up now. It's never going to happen, which of course just made me want to do it more. Um, and, uh, and so I, the email said, these books are great. I will say there's one that gives me pause and it's the story of Harvey Milk and the rainbow flag. So Harvey Milk Mm -hmm. is a civil rights activist. Yes. He was assassinated and, um, an incredible story. And, uh, not a person we get to learn a lot about, but it had a profound impact. Um, uh, and yeah. so I read the email and he said, the reason this gives me pause is that it, it mentions that he was assassinated. And I called my mm. kids into the room. And this is again, like these are, these are books intended for elementary schools, you know, um, mm-hmm. they're written with that in mind. So I, called my kids into the room and I said, how did you guys learn that Martin Luther King died? And they said he was assassinated. And I said, how did you learn JFK died? They were like, he was assassinated. I'm like, how did you learn Abraham Lincoln? He was assassinated. Okay, thank you. Then I called Mm -hmm. this guy's phone number was at the bottom and he answered. And luckily we kind of shared a laugh at the beginning of the call. Like it kind of broke the ice. I can't remember what it was, but something happened. It kind of softened everyone. And then I said, can we just do this? Can we just have this conversation? And he was like, let's do it. And I told him what I just told you about calling my kids into the room. Um, And I told him about being a woman and how when I was a girl, I wish I had more books that talked about women activists and that I need him to be brave. And he said, well, I'm just, I don't want the whole book list to get thrown out because some parent is upset just about this book. And I said, that is completely understandable, but can we like say we're sorry and not ask for permission basically, you know, like, can we just start with this because we, Mm -hmm. we have to be pioneers. Um, and he was like, okay. (laughs) Oh, I'm so glad to hear the story went that way. Yeah. And even better when we presented to the principals meeting. So that guy had us come in Keiko and myself and present to all the principals of the whole district. And we bring enough uh, bags of books to send each principal home from that meeting with a book for their library, a set for their library. Um, Mm -hmm. He was crying and I was crying and he was like, I'm so grateful that this is happening. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, I could not appreciate you more. And it's that district that I got an email from a teacher saying, you have no idea how bad we needed these books. I'm, I can't thank you enough. You know? So it's, it might seem small, but I don't mind change like that. I don't mind change. That's one kid at a time or one person at a time. Mm -hmm. Do you think awareness has grown since, um, your son first spoke to you about wanting more representation in books when he was in first grade, like in that time, because I have a son, your son's age, and, you know, it's not, they're still pretty little, but I feel like things have changed a little bit so far. They have, I mean, I think they have, it it depends on which area you're asking about. Like, I think certainly in media and in books, there's been a big shift. there's a great TV show that's about to come out on Hulu 
And one of our newer books is based on that show and it's called The Bravest Knight Who Ever Lived. <clears throat> and the whole story is about this knight's bravery and at the end you realize that he's in love with the prince. Um, you know, it's the stories about who that knight is as a person. And then, like, sidebar, he's gay. You know what I mean? <laughs> um, which, so I think that there's a few examples of of that happening. And I do think it depends on where you live. And um, I think there's a tide that is turned that we can't go back from. I think there's awareness of um, the gender spectrum more than there has ever been. Um, but part of the importance of our work, we think is for that time when I think one of the biggest parts of coming out, if you will, is coming out to yourself. You know, it's having that conversation with yourself. Um, so frankly, like that's why I love, I love, and I'm behind this mission of, of, letting a child just read a book and think about it. And if we normalize that experience because PS and I keep saying PS, but because it is normal, if we normalize that experience, it's going to minimize bullying. It's going to, if we let, if we put books and materials in schools where conversation can be had about them, then kids who are confused or do think it's weird can ask questions and that will minimize bullying. Because their mm-hmm. fear is reduced. And children who don't fit into some cookie cutter shape, whatever that might be, whatever that expectation might be in all of our it's heads. all of us. Right. <laughs> um, right, exactly. I always think, like, if everyone feels so different from everybody else, and doesn't everybody realize we're all different? Like, yeah, exactly. we're, we're all, we all have that in common that we don't feel like we're like other people. So then... I wonder what the climate has been like in classrooms for teachers um, and, and if they have seen an actual change in the feeling in their classrooms, especially if they happen to have students who are wondering about this for themselves. Well, one thing I've heard a lot, and again, I do live in, in California, yeah. in Southern California, um, but I'll tell you, knock on wood, we're on the precipice of donating to 130 schools in Orange County. Mm-hmm. So if that, I, you know, I'm a little premature in talking about it, but they're, they are an area that felt the need to hire someone to help their schools have these materials in them. That's how we connected to them. So they're, they did create a position to help diversity um, in their schools. So I, I believe like there is a consciousness around this. Mm-hmm. Um, but one thing I keep hearing is like, it's the grownups that care. The kids don't <laughs> now. Um, the kids just don't They're If you tell them like you, they just don't really bat an eye. It's about how that kid treats them, mm-hmm. you know, but for parents, there's, it's, it can be a little more complicated You know, I know when we were supporting our oldest initially, there was a little bit of like, well, we don't ever want him to feel bad about who he is or how he wants to express himself. But at the same time, do we just let him be out in the world doing that? Because what if people are mean to him? Mm -hmm. You know? Yes, I've heard that that, before. Yeah. I think that's frequently 
the line parents are walking and are challenged with is like, well, I don't want to just send my kid to the wolves, but I also don't want to make them feel bad about anything they're thinking and feeling naturally. So what have you learned in, in that experience? What advice do you have for parents or people who are not parents who might be wondering about the best way to help a kid figure this out or support a kid? Uh, I'm a big proponent of following their lead. Um, that I got that advice from a book called Raising My Rainbow. Um, I That's been the, the greatest piece of advice we've clung to because you know, that meant a couple things. It meant that when I want him to feel super proud and loud in public <laughs> and I want him to like, you know, be super bold, that might not be what he wants to do in the moment. He might feel his own instinct to, um, you know, self-edit a little because he wants to keep himself safe. And I have to honor those instincts not that he would be in danger, but there's something in him that wants to edit on occasion. And it's his business mm-hmm. to, to be, to share or not to share. Um, so that's been really helpful. And I felt as like gone both ways. One is if he feels brave, I feel brave. I've armed, when he was really little, we would arm him with sound bites. Like, um, there was one time <laughs> One time we were, you know, birthday parties tend to, there's the party favors at the end of birthday parties. Mm -hmm. And I don't see this as much, but so often when he was young, there would be party favors for girls, party favors for boys. You mean gendered, gendered party favors? Yes. Gendered (laughs) party favors. And, um, I noted like right away, our son would want the party favors intended for the girls. And, um, I remember this one party we were at and I said to the mom, I'm like, you know, he would really love one of these, one of these ones instead. Do you, do you have enough? Would that be okay? And she was a little tough about it. She's like, I guess, you know, we'll see. I hope so. I'm like, okay. And then I just tried to kind of write it out in the background. Cause I, <laughs> again, it was like, I didn't, I was in a position where he was so little that I didn't want to be like, no, you are not allowed to have something that is pink. <laughs> so I was like struggling with that. And I just sort of wrote it out for a second. Sure. And if there was an extra one, he took it. And as we were leaving the party, we were not walking next to him. Another little boy, this little blonde boy with big glasses on. And he looked like his big eyes blinked through the glasses. <laughs> and he, he looked at my son's pink bag that he brought. And he's like, how did you how did you get that? Why did you get that one? And the soundbite we'd armed him with to use really as a blanket statement anywhere was, I like what I like and you can like what you like. So our son said, I like what I like and you can like what you like. And he's like, I like that one. <laughs> so it was like another boy wanted the same thing, but didn't think it was possible, you know? 
<laughs> That's a good one. So, yeah, and I think the more room, I mean, the more room we adults make for the children, the more they can show us what we need to learn. And I think something you said especially struck me as a universal, which is, you know, when your kid is feeling more shy about what they want to share you have learned to kind of follow their lead. And I think that's a case no matter what we're talking about with kids. I mean, I have kids similar to your ages, and I think it's really important to let them guide us in what they're comfortable with in each situation. Yeah. And, you know, I wouldn't presume to um, speak for other parents who might. There, There's so many different degrees of this. And mm-hmm you know, I hope we get to a place someday where there just isn't a conversation about it and that gender nation gets put out of business, you know, because it's <laughs> <Yes>. just like <laughs> these books are just there and it's not a big deal. And, and I do think we're heading that way, but you know, I have parents frequently, I had a, a mom just the other day call me and say, and I know them, um, around Los Angeles there. I'm friends with the mom and I know the kid and she's like, you know, um, my daughter is saying, um, she thinks she's gender fluid, like she's both. And I'm like, Oh, I'm like, okay, well, and, and the mom is okay with it, but it's also like a lot of information to take in. And so there's steps. It's like, is that just something the child is, you know, feeling or is it, and, and experimenting with, or is it something a little more involved where they might need to seek advice? Or professional help, so they make sure they nurture this the child properly, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's luckily more and more um, facilities and places that offer support specific for this. Did you offer her any, you know, insight about w- what a good thing to do is? Like, did you have any thoughts right right off the bat for her? I did, and I do, and it's something I've implemented too because. Um, her daughter said that to her and seemed to feel confident and know that about herself. I said, um, well, one thing you could tell her if you wanted to is, gosh, it's so lucky that you know something about yourself. We are all trying to know ourselves. And the fact that you have an insight on yourself is really great. Keep me posted. I love that. So for someone like me who doesn't think I could say something so elegant in in such short no on just such short notice, how long did it has that always been something that you knew how to say or did it take you a while? That particular soundbite came out in my own life, luckily in the moment I needed it. <laughs> um, and I can say I'm very uh, lucky. My husband. Uh, that we partner the same way I have now met lots of parents um, who are struggling because they feel differently about supporting their kid and moms who feel like they have to keep it a secret, but they want to support mm-hmm. their kid and dads that feel differently. I haven't heard of the vice versa where it's a mom who doesn't want to and a dad does, but I'm sure it exists. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So luckily when, when I needed that phrase, yeah, it came out when I needed it. Um, but certainly not before having spent some time paying attention to my kid for quite a few years where I was watching and um, wondering if he was going to come out to us and, and feeling like just making a space where he, he would feel safe that he could. What is, uh, you know, before, before we end, I'm curious a little bit about 
what your thoughts are on other states. And, you know, California, as you've mentioned, and, and I'm well aware, is a lucky place to be for the work that you're doing. And even you have had some concerns about certain districts within California. So what's the news that you get from other states and have other districts reached out to you, you know, for leadership on this? What do you think? My dad just sent me an article this morning that the title says South Dakota House approves bill that would jail doctors for treating transgender youth. I believe that connection with other people changes hearts and minds. And so our constitution says we're all created equal and we should be treated as such under the law. So I get really scared when like, you know, we're talking about uh, legal limitations that our government tries to put on LGBTQ people. So that makes me sad, but I'm going to hold out hope that human connection, that the more evolved our society becomes, that you realize that people realize like, oh, we're all just people trying to make our way and we all benefit from each other thriving. A final question before you send listeners to where they can find you. When you think back before your oldest uh, was born, do you think you would have been surprised by the trajectory your life has taken with this type of work? This is something that's come up a lot. People will say, oh my gosh, your son is so lucky to have you and your husband. And I do not feel that way. From the bottom of my heart, how I feel is that we are lucky that there's a whole life experience, a whole richness of humanity that I wouldn't necessarily have had the benefit of learning about were it not for being able to parent a kid like him. And that to me is like the gift. So no, I, I don't, you know, before I had him, I didn't imagine this in the future. And once um, I saw it happening, I just, you know, saw a need and tried to fill it. And through pursuing that, I learned a lot and I'm still learning a lot. And I'm really grateful not to just think about myself all the time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's another gift, isn't it? I, I feel the same about that. <laughs> Parenthood. It's like, oh, I'm not as interesting as I thought I was. <laughs> Do you know what my old acting teacher used to say to us? She'd say the center of the universe is a very crowded place. <laughs> and, you know, yeah. I didn't understand it because I think I was really full of myself. It took me like months <laughs> to understand what she meant. Um, so where can listeners find you? And is your Facebook group active, especially for people who don't live in California and need to connect with you? Yeah, so the Facebook group is still up. And if um we're contacted there. This is a small organization. We have a small board and Keiko and I are usually the ones that are driving books around and calling publishers and calling school districts. So we are small, but we have a big community of people that we could put, um, if there's, we could put you in touch with if people were reaching out. Um, and the Facebook page, uh, there's also a closed group. Um, there, it says gender creative kids, Los Angeles or gender nation. Either one will get you to either the group or the page, the public page. Mm -hmm. And then we have an Instagram it's at gender nation. And, uh, we also have a website, uh, 
which is gendernation.org. And on the website, you can see our mission, you can see our books, you can see the school list of schools we've donated to, and, um, and also see how to donate because we are completely run on private donations. I'm just now embarking on the world of grants and applying mm-hmm. for grants. But I, I'm really proud to say that to date, over 57,000 students have access to the books that Gender Nation donates here in California. Wow. That's awesome. And I'll post those links also um, on the show notes so people can find them and, and link directly to your stuff. I really thank you for, for sharing not only, you know, the information about Gender Nation, but your story and kind of part of how you got here. And I think the stories you shared, you know, of how the work you're doing is reaching people is very, very helpful. Like, I think it gives me hope, too. Great. Yeah. Thank you for telling stories like this. And thanks for having me on. I'm really glad you were here. Thank you so much, Morgan. Take care. Thanks for listening to And Then Everything Changed. For more on this episode and other interviews you might like, please visit atecpodcast.com. You can also find And Then Everything Changed on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And if you like this podcast, please do share it with your friends and take a minute and rate and review so that others can hear these stories too. Thanks for listening. 